this particular session. Uh, our speaker is going to be Professor Carlos Pinkham, a biology professor at Norris College in Vermont. And he's going to talk about nine phenomena that recur throughout cosmological, abiological, and biological evolution uh, as soon as the computer comes up. It's, it's up. Okay, take it away. One of the most compelling questions facing humankind today, and it's one that we've heard about today, is how did we get here? And in general, as we've also heard, the answer is embedded somewhere in the idea that we're in a fine-tuned universe, fine-tuned for life. So, and as we've also heard, uh, the scientific community is coming to this conclusion, and uh, this well-known quote by Freeman Dyson kind of confirms that. So the question then becomes, how did this fine-tuning come about? Well, the answer appears to rely upon three versions. There, there are about nine explanations for it, but all of them can be distilled down to uh, three aspects or three general ideas. And these general ideas all involve infinity. And uh, these begin with two possible conditions. We have an infinite universe or we have one. And this one universe either is infinite or it is finite. This leads to the fact that we're in the one part of the infinite universe, the part of the infinite universe, or the one finite universe, that produced us uniquely, or as one of several forms of intelligence in this finite one universe, or as the one form of intelligence, but not uniquely. So then, this brings us back to the original question, how did this, how are these possible, uh, uh, how are these possibilities coming about? And we see that luck is the reason, as we proceed from left to right along this continuum, becomes less and less convincing. Conversely, as we proceed from left to right along this continuum, we see that a creator is the reason becomes a little bit more reasonable. Please note that in both situations, the other one does not completely disappear. So how is it that we would consider these two possibilities? I mean, after all, we're the only one we know of. Why even think about this? we would think about this because of nine phenomena that continue to repeat themselves uh, at all kinds of levels throughout the evolution of the universe and us. Please note the subtitle. I'm going to look at this by giving you an algorithm. I'm going to give you the phenomena. The algorithm generates attributes with examples and a conclusion. So what is the algorithm? The accuracy and precision found in numerous fundamental constants, forces, and masses established at the moment of the Big Bang produced nine phenomena that allow the universe to support the evolution of intelligent life via the survival of the fittest and other related mechanisms. And this leads to attributes which imply that the universe was designed, and we'll explore these with examples from all three levels of evolution. So. Here's what we're talking about, the accuracy and precision of the constants, cosmological constants, just one of many. We saw several others that were uh, available. The forces, the 
uh, forces uh, at the uh, nuclear level uh, the, uh, and all the way up to the universe level. And then the masses of the three major players uh, in uh, the mass of the universe, and as these are the three of the four forces that govern their interaction. So let's look at the phenomena, phenomena verbalized, and I'm not going to give you too much time to look at this because it's going to take more time to absorb this than, uh, than uh, we really have here. But I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you look at it while I'm talking, and then I'm going to go and try to formulate it for you. And then I'm going to give you the examples, and hopefully by the time we're through that, we'll understand a little bit about what I'm trying to portray here. So what is a requisite singularity? What I'm, what I'm going to do here is, I'm, by formulating, I'm going to use something we are all familiar with, and that's uh, letters and numbers and symbols. We all understand that, uh, that capital B and lowercase b are not alike, but they're more alike than B and 1. So following that kind of trend, uh, we see that uh, a requisite singularity is, is something, B, it must occur if life is to arise or evolve. A precise peak, conditions that result in B often operate with great precision to ensure that precisely B will occur. Optimal solution, B works best at meeting specific requirements, not other versions of B or even other things. Compelling attractors, conditions naturally result in B, and while they may also make some other forms of B, B minus B plus, these either do not work as well as B or they do not work at all. Ample sample, conditions that result in B are such that B will occur in abundance and often, so will some of the other forms. Statistical certainty, and because of all of the ones you saw on the first slide, uh, B, not any of the other versions or possibilities, will be found by cosmic, abiological, or biological evolution to fulfill the requisite singularity. Narrowing options. Furthermore, once found, B leads to C, not one, not a square, because neither one or a square are now, uh, are now possible or effective. Essential sequencing, this leads to requisite singularities occurring in order. A leads to B, B leads to C, etc. And B cannot occur before A occurs. Intricate simplicity, although the above may result in 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, da, 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 all the way up to 99, different steps of different categories of requisite, <coughs> excuse me, requisite singularities, we can summarize this whole thing by saying 10s, 20s, 30s, 40s. So it can be summarized and distilled down to something even simpler. All right, let's look at the attributes with examples. We're going to look at the Big Bang and the cosmological constant at the quantum level, at the atomic level, the carbon, at the molecular level, water, at the cellular level, cell metabolism, and then uh, at the organ system and organ, organism level, uh, senses and the brain. <coughs> cosmological constant, as most of you in here know, this is a constant that, rates, that uh, controls the rate of expansion of the universe. And uh, this graph very nicely shows uh, if, we, if we have various cosmological constants, uh, if they are below a particular level, uh, smaller than uh, the cosmological constant we have, uh, even out to the 50th decimal point, then what happens is the universe doesn't expand fast enough and gravity overtakes the expansion and everything clumps together and we end up with a big crunch. 
On the other hand, if it is expanding too fast, what happens is the uh, expansion is so great that we end up with a universe with only hydrogen, maybe a little bit of helium and lithium in it, and that's it. Notice also that there's just uh, the universe can't support life from the beginning. It has to go through some evolution before it can support life. So let's look at this then uh, in a chart form as we look at these requisite singularities. A universe with a right mix of elements and age to allow intelligence to evolve. That's the requisite singularity. And the attribute that, that meets this, or one of many that meets this, is the cosmological constant. It must be uh, accurate to the 50th decimal point. As far as we can determine, this is the optimal solution, et cetera. Um, I, I won't read all of these, but uh, the ample sample. Um, this, this, you know, it's not applicable uh, unless you subscribe to the multiple universe, multiverse, and then we have a multi, an ample sample there. Um, statistical certainty. We do have a universe. Uh, narrowing options. Once it and other uh, constants, forces, and masses are established, the outcome is predictable, and uh, we can't have uh, us until we have a universe with a constant com uh, the uh, cosmological constant. And the Big Bang is increasingly complex, and yet we can all grasp it. I mean, I don't understand the math of it, but I certainly understand the concept. Let's look at carbon. We need a compound, or we need an element that will uh, react with other elements around it in molecular weight uh, in ways that will, uh, will allow this element to make myriads of compounds because what is life? It's just a self-sustaining uh, reaction involving myriads of compounds. So uh, how does carbon come about? If we look at the formation of carbon, we see that in, in uh, first-generation suns and, and beyond, uh, the center of the, 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 the helium that's in the sun and especially that in the in more towards the center of the sun, uh, will react uh, by fusion to form beryllium-8. Now, beryllium-8 has a very short half-life, and uh, what happens is that uh, if in the short half-life that it lives, a, a third helium impacts it, then uh, it will form an unstable form of carbon-12. This unstable form of carbon-12 will immediately give off a photon to fall back to a stable form of carbon-12. And we see the energy of activation here, and, and we see that the, the peak has a very high uh, resonance. So what happens if we go less than that? Well, what happens if we go less than that? Then the stable carbon, uh, if, if the energy of activation is less than that, then the stable uh, carbon-12 that is formed uh, can pick up a photon and fall back to the... Uh, to the uh, unstable carbon-12, which can decay to the helium and the beryllium, and we end up with a universe without adequate carbon. Let's say it's a little higher. Then what happens is that uh, before this has a chance to give off the photon, uh, it decays back. And again, we end up with a universe without adequate helium. So putting this then in the categories here, uh, an element capable of making myriad of compounds essential for life processes what is the attribute that meets that? Carbon. And uh, the precise peak is a resonance here, as we saw. And uh, uh, optimal solution, carbon forms the four covalent bonds, thus allowing for catenation with maximum possibilities. Uh, attempt, uh, compelling attractors, uh, we saw those. Uh, ample sample. Carbon is the sixth most abundant element in the universe and the 14th most abundant on the crust of the Earth. So there's plenty of carbon around to do what we need it to do. Uh, 
uh, statistical certainty, obviously that. And narrowing options, silicon-based life is not a possibility with carbon uh, and essential sequencing. We can't have these myriads of chemical compounds unless we have carbon. And intricate simplicity, 10 million organic compounds that we know of. And uh, they can all be summarized into four major categories, carbohydrates, lipids, proteins, and nucleic acids. And uh, uh, that's intricate simplicity. All right, let's look at the molecular level, water. Uh, water has at least 50 properties that are unique to water that make life possible. Uh, all of these are tied with these aspects of water, its polarity, uh, the, its ability to form hydrogen bond, uh, how it ionizes, uh, and uh, its temperature characteristics. And here are some of these properties that we know are important. Possibly, um, I'm going to skip that for a minute. Best solvent transport agent for charge and, and polarized compounds. Uh, the highest combined heat storage capability, the heat of fusion, uh, heat of vaporization, the, the specific heat. Uh, all of this, uh, high compressibility, high cohesive and adhesive forces, for example, it gives us surface tension and uh, capillary action. Lighter as a solid than as a liquid so that uh, that uh, organisms can live beneath the ice in the water that's there. Putting this into this into this chart, <coughs> excuse me. A solvent for the processes that also acts as a heat reservoir and has other essential properties. We need this. We're going to have life. What is the attribute that meets that water? Precise peak. Uh, the resonance of oxygen has got to be just precise, like the resonance of carbon. Why? Because uh, oxygen is formed in the same situation as, as carbon uh, with another reaction with a helium-4. And uh, if it was too effective, then we would use up all the carbon, and we wouldn't have enough carbon. It's got to be just right to give us the right balance of carbon and oxygen in the universe. And <coughs> excuse, me, excuse me, the properties of hydrogen and oxygen make that formation of, of water a given. Um, we all learned that in elementary chemistry. Ample sample, water is possibly the single most uh, abundant dielemental molecule in the universe. I'm not 100% sure about that. Maybe some of you have better ideas on that. Um, it's got to be one of the most abundant. Uh, statistical certainty, hydrogen is, is the most abundant element in the universe. Obviously, oxygen is a third and first on Earth. Uh, so we're definitely going to have a condition that makes lots of water. Nearing option, water determines the process and forms that life will assume. And you can't have transport. You can't have excitable tissues without water. And uh, that such a simple molecule could do so much. Uh, and embodies in this molecule the four major uh, physiological bonds, the covalent bond, the ionic bond, the, elect the uh, uh, hydrogen bond, and uh, van der Waals forces is, is pretty impressive and simplistic. All right, let's look at cell metabolism. <coughs> What we're looking at here is the uh, metabolism of any, uh, almost all uh, eukaryotic cells, um, and uh, the the metabolism of, of this metabolism came out came about as a result, uh, as most of us know from the um, endosymbiotic theory that Lynn Margulis came up with, or at least at least uh, publicized, uh, that uh, uh, that this process right here is occurring, most of this process is occurring in the mitochondria, which was a, an organelle that was at one, or, at one point in time an organism that was phagocytized by another prokaryotic cell. We need, we need a, a, an energy balance here that allows the larger cell 
eukaryotic cells are larger than prokaryotic cells, to uh, carry out the energy uh, requirements that it has. After all, it's got a, 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 a smaller surface-to-volume ratio and so than a smaller cell. Uh, so it's got to have more energy to get things in and out of the cell. But if we look at the metabolism of a, a eukaryotic cell, we see that it really only needs three things. It needs nutrients, it needs water, and it needs oxygen. That's all. And if we look at uh, uh, the other, what it needs to get rid of, it needs to get rid of water, it needs to get rid of waste metabolites, it needs to get rid of heat, and it needs to get rid of carbon dioxide. That's all. So uh, if we look at this, we discover, whoa, if we're going to get a multicelled organism out of this, we have got to have a way to bring nutrients and water into the organism, a digestive system. To bring oxygen in and the other gas out, carbon dioxide out, a respiratory system. To eliminate the waste metabolites and the excess water, a urinary system. To get rid of the excess heat, a cutaneous and respiratory system. And um, because this is often a cell that uh, this cell right here may be buried deep inside several layers of other cells. We've got to have a way to get these substances from where they're brought into the body to where they're used. So we've got to have a circulatory system. And as we increase the complexity of the organism, we've got to have a way of orchestrating this all. So we've got to have a nervous and endocrine system. So again, looking at this, uh, adequate energy production for the rigors of a larger cell, eukaryotic cell, Possibly 36 ATPs provide just the right energy budget. Here I'm getting a little bit away from what I absolutely know, and I'm not 100% sure about that. Two ATPs for prokaryotic cells, we all know that. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Endosymbiotic experiments that I referred to. Untold numbers of primitive organisms uh, with different metabolisms going on in the, uh, in the uh, Paleozoic Sea. Uh, that probably gave rise to this within the, with uh, a huge number of organisms eating each other was bound to happen, absolute uh, statistical certainty. Once this plan was in place, necessary organ systems for multicelled organs were established and essential sequencing. We can't have multicelled organisms until we have adequate ATP production and intricate simplicity. Tens of thousands of chemical reactions going on in a cell, and yet we can summarize it with that prior diagram, very simple elegant diagram. Last one, looking at senses in the brain. We all understand that at some point in time, our, one of the ancestors of, of vertebrates, of, of um, uh, land organisms, was a horizontal uh, fish, uh, fish-like creature. And uh, uh, because of the properties of water established at the Big Bang, uh, the most efficient form and moving through this column of water is a fusiform uh, organism. It uh, has to do uh, with the properties of water. And, uh, and if, it's if it has a long axis, then this means that it is uh, going to be going in a particular direction. This means it has a front. If we look at the, uh, the gradient of information that this produces for the organism, we see that there is a high gradient of information in the front of the organism. In other words, it's more important to know what's ahead of you than what you've left behind. So how are we going to uh, intercept this information and use it? 
Well, there are four basic uh, receptors that exist. Uh, we have uh, photoreceptors that are going to pick up photons and give us sight. We have chemoreceptors that are going to pick up uh, the chemicals and give us smell and taste. And we have pressure uh, mechanoreceptors that are going to pick up pressure and forces. They give us vibration and sound. And there are also thermal receptors. They don't follow this exactly, so I didn't include them. But notice where they're clustered. They're clustered in the front of the organism. So now we've got to have a, a, an organ that is capable of uh, receiving, processing, and responding uh, properly to this information. So where are we going to put it? We're going to put it right where the sensors are, right in the front. And we're going to call it a brain. So our brain is up here not because it's the most important thing. It's there because it's logical for it to be there. Looking at this then, sentience and intelligence, the organ system level of complexity. I'm not, I'm not sure about the precise peak. Brain is in front, best design solution. Oh, we talked about that. Lots of swimming critters. Selection will favor this solution. Brain will be the center for sentience and processing information. And here, look at essential sequencing. Once established as the organ to process information, it is the logical organ to evolve intelligence from. And our brain with 100 billion cells and all of its capabilities can be simply summarized as a, uh, uh, an organ with uh, a role of processing information uh, essential for survival. Okay, like any proper theory or any proper thesis, this is one that has some predictive values. Uh, we can find the earlier stages, and, and this is what we're, we're looking at where, when we, we when you encounter life elsewhere other than on Earth, what are we going to find? We will find earlier stages more often and under a wider range of conditions. We will find later stages in proportion to the same, <coughs> excuse me, in proportion to the time since abiogenesis could have occurred in that star system. We will find the greatest departure from the evolutionary path taken on Earth as we get more complex organisms, since the larger the organism, the fewer the offspring it would have to provide an ample sample. But remember, we have to look at the fewer the uh, sperm, if we're going to use ourselves as an example, and ova that it provides, because there's selection going on at that level. We may well find the only other form of intelligence in the universe is humanoid, and we may well find, and we may find that Warden Brownlee's rare earth hypothesis is not totally correct. In addition, this is going to force us to closely consider the processes that brought us about and ultimately provide a test of how well we understand them as we encounter life elsewhere, and I'm sure we will. It also forces us to think, what is it that makes us unique, and how unique are we? And in any event, the more examples of requisite singularities that we find, the more following this pattern, uh, the more difficult it's going to become, and, and going along with what, uh, uh, what was said earlier, uh, is it, the, the, the multiverse argument is going to become more and more difficult to defend, uh, and... Uh, uh, especially in light of the view of Brandon Carter and Andrew Watson's critical steps are considered unlikely steps when we're saying that these are, are statistically certain steps. And so I'm going to make an appeal that everyone here, uh, with all of your different disciplines, give some thought to this and see if you can come up with other uh, examples of this. Uh, I, I know they're out there. I know of some already. Uh, uh, and uh, I'm sure there are many more that I'm unaware of. Finally, uh, all of this stuff, obviously doesn't require a Christian God. But 
uh, if we consider the fact that Genesis does follow, if you, if you put the right spin on the words, uh, pretty closely the, the sequence of events of following the evolution of the universe and the Big Bang and everything, uh, if you consider the Bible and its reliability, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, his fulfillment of so many Old Testament prophecies, the conviction of early witnesses, the changed life of believers, other witnesses that we have all experienced here. Um, you can either look at these as just totally unrelated uh, bits of information that have nothing to do with one another, um, and some people do, or you can, ex you can understand that, in fact, they are unified with a single efficient explanation, God of the Bible. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to understand it before I can repeat it. <laughs> I, I'm un, unaware of this. Maybe someone else is. But basically, the question is, I understand it, is that the, the uh, as you can see here, the, I'm saying properties come first, then the process comes. And you're suggesting the process comes first, and then the properties well, come. I, I don't know, but I think it might be an interesting phenomenon to explore. Yeah. Because there's a lot of Okay. Yeah. Um, Okay, here's, here's, here's my response. My response to him would be this, as I showed in that diagram that had, you know, luck is the reason or chance is the reason, or, or God, creator is the reason. I'm, if he wants to think that, he's perfectly free to think that. But I think the evidence is very suspiciously overwhelming in the other direction. And I think it's going to become more overwhelming as time progresses. I would agree, yes. Process and, and, and properties and properties and process are interdependent. Okay. 
I think Paul Davies has started to say something along that line, and give me your card afterwards, and I'll try to send you something. Okay. Okay. So let's thank our speaker again for a <clears throat>